I'm going to pick up at verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree. And by the way, in, in Hebrew, it's alon, which means oak tree. Uh, if you have a King James Version, it says oak tree. So here we are in Thousand Oaks, and he's sitting under an oak tree. Angels dig oak trees. I just want you to know that. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under an oak tree, which was in Ophrah of Winfrey. Uh, no, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> which belonged to Joash, the Abbi Ezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word as we take a look at the life of Gideon, a man who began the day as a farmer and ended it as a deliverer of the nation of Israel. And so, Lord, you speak to each man and woman this day, and you say to them so clearly, the Lord is with you, O mighty man or woman of valor. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would instill in us that calling is all those who call upon the name of the Lord are called and equipped unto good works that you prepared beforehand that we would walk in those. I pray today you'd inspire and empower us and bless us according to your riches of your living word. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. This is a, a fascinating passage. Um, and I'm going to go through the 27 verses of it. And I'm blessed by Gideon. And I think it timely, especially after quite a week. And it's been an awful week. Tragic week. And yet as I was drawn to this passage, I was encouraged. And I pray the same for you all as well. The passage begins that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 1. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midianites, because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. And so it was whenever the Israel had sown, meaning planted crops, Midianites would come up, and the Amalekites also were among the people of the east, and they'd come against the Israelites. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. And so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of, of Israel cried out to the Lord. In this passage of Scripture, that begins by just simply saying that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is the second, or excuse me, this is the fourth of what they call uh, the apostasy. Apostasy means a turning away from God. And as we've been going through the book of Judges, the Israelites return to God. God delivers them. They turn back to their evil ways. God oppresses them. They come back to the Lord. He delivers them. The apostasy is when they leave. And the, the renewal, the revival comes when the Lord delivers them after they cry out to God. And God is faithful. And it, it's, it's a series. It's a pattern. And it, it emulates us. 
us. I mean, it's our life in a sense. Um, things are going great. We forget the Lord. We put him aside. Things start to implode. We cry out to him. Everything's put back in order. Uh, then we turn from him. And, and this, is, this is the picture of the Israelites as it is with our own life. And this is the fourth apostasy. Speaking of Gideon in the book of Judges, he gets more pressed than anyone else in the book of Judges. Uh, he has 100 verses. We're going to cover 27 of those today. Uh, Samson is second with 96 verses. So Gideon uh, is hopefully one that all of us could relate to, relate to him hopefully more than Samson, um, as you'll see when we get to that. But in this passage of scripture, the Israelites have done evil in the sight of the Lord. And so what God does is he delivers them into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites, 200 years earlier, God had told Moses to eradicate them. All the males were killed. So you had generational ingrained hatred, Midianites hating Israelites, Israelites hating um, uh, Midianites. And 200 years of this, and now the Midianites are coming in. They've gotten stronger. They join with the Amalekites and people of the east. And they, they flood into the Israelite territory as far as Gaza, which means they just inhabit all of Israel. And they come at a time where they're threshing the wheat and where they've, they've already sown the crop. They've harvested the crop. And now these Midianites, Amalekites, they come in to steal all of the grain. And in doing so, uh, it's, it's similar. I, I just introduced my grandson, Oliver, to an, a Pixar movie. Uh, I'd, I'd showed him uh, um, Finding Nemo, and he, he just literally for weeks, he hasn't put that thing down. He's watching it constantly. It's a constant babysitter. Um, and, and yet this week, I thought it's time to introduce him to A Bug's Life. And uh, he just got engaged in it, and now he's, oh, I want to watch A Bug's Life. So we're moving away from Nemo into The Bug's Life. And as you know, in the story of The Bug's Life, the, the, the ants harvest all the grain, they store it, and the grasshoppers come in at a very opportune time and steal it. They don't do anything, they just take it. And, um, and, and this is a picture, in a sense. These, these locusts, the Midianites, the Amalekites, people of the east, they come in and they destroy. They not only take the grain, but they kill the oxen, they kill all the livestock, and they're so numerous that they can't even be counted. And they come in on these, these camels, and they're just a formidable foe, and they wipe out the land. And it greatly, just doesn't impoverish, it greatly impoverishes. Uh, this influx of these aliens create uh, an unemployment rate in Israel, unbelievable, impoverishes the, the country. And the children of Israel at this point, seven years it's been going on, and for seven years they finally cry out to God. Fascinating. They, they cry out to the Lord, but before they cried out to the Lord, they tried to do a number of things on their own to try to alleviate the oppression and, and the burden that um, the Midianites and the Amalekites put forward. What they did is, is, as you notice when we read, they hid themselves in dens and caves and strongholds, which were in the mountains. And, and we just got back from Israel and we, we visited. And you can see on the mountains, you can see the caves where people have resided for hundreds, thousands of years. And, and it's fascinating to me because you can either prep or pray. And, and, and I notice that as times are getting tough, we get a lot more preppers. I'm going to move to another state. I'm going to move to Montana. I'm going to get some guns. I'm going to get a compound. I'm going to arm myself. I'm going to have some store, stores built up. I'm, 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 I'm going to prep for this. As I realize and I read the scriptures, the Bible says we, Christians, are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We're not victims. We're to, we're, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We're to go forward. As you, as you look at the, the battle armor, this, the spiritual weaponry that God gives us in Ephesians 5 and 6, everything is frontal so that we're moving forward. There's nothing in the rear. And, and the idea is God doesn't want us to, to border ourselves and, and hide in caves. But that's what we do. 
Times are tough. If I can just protect my little enclave, if I've got my piece of the pie, I'm okay. God calls us into community. The monastic world is over. He calls us to go into the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But we hide in caves. We protect our own. And if I got this thing covered, I'm okay. I got my retirement. I don't need to engage. I've got my savings. I've got my pension. I've got my, I got my. And we forget that we're community-minded and that the culture needs Christ. And how will they know unless someone tells them? He doesn't intend for us to be in a cave. He doesn't intend for us to be in a den. Gated communities seem to be fine, but you step out of them. Hardest place to reach for the gospel is Malibu because everyone lives behind a gate. And they're trapped in the jungles of affluence. And here God is calling you to set the people free. They'll know the truth. The truth will set them free. But how will they know unless someone tells them? Instead of telling them, because we don't want to face conflict, we hide in a cave. Well, it gets bad because, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said and Martin Niemöller, they, they came for the socialists, and I was silent. Then they came for the union organizers, and I was silent. Then they came for the Jews, and I was silent. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And they'll come for you. They'll come for you. They'll come for me. How bad does it have to get? This has been an awful week. I'm sick of it. I was in a council meeting Tuesday, or when was it? Tuesday night? Thursday night? I don't even remember. Thursday night? Thursday night. Wednesday night? Thursday night. It was Thursday night. You weren't there. How do you know? I think it was Thursday. When was the shooting of the officers? Thursday, right? Thursday night. Tuesday? This week, I was in a council meeting, And I got a text from Bishop Huggins, Pastor Broderick over at St. Paul's Baptist Church, the pastor of the largest black church in Ventura County. And uh, two African-American men had been shot by police officers, one in Minnesota and one in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And it was videotaped. And if you've seen the videotapes, it's just awful. And he was sickened because, as you know, Bishop Huggins' son had been shot by Alameda police officers. And he was grieving. And I told him, I said, I'm in an emergency council meeting, and I was there for six hours that night. And I, and I said, I, I, I'll have to call you tomorrow, but I stand with you, and I'm, I'm praying for you. By the course of the evening, the news had come out that the shooting had happened in Dallas, and five police officers were dead. And, and by the time that Bishop Huggins and I could connect, we were both just saddened. And we had agreed together, and we talked yesterday, we agreed together that we were going to gather at St. Paul's Baptist Church on Tuesday at 2 p.m., this coming Tuesday at 2 p.m. And we're going to ask the Lord to bring reconciliation. And we're going to take two difficult roles. And I have to tell you, I'm frightened. My job is to defend the two black men that were shot. And Bishop Huggins will defend the officers that were shot. And we're going to have to examine areas of our life and work through these in the public eye. And it's going to be heavy. 
And I look and I think to myself, I want peace. I'm sick of it. 50 dead in Orlando. Hundreds dead in Baghdad, Istanbul. It just doesn't stop. Racial tension, division, rich against poor, white against black. I never envisioned in the country I was born in and raised that we would be here and experiencing this. And I look and I say, where's peace? Where's peace? I know I serve a God of peace, but I confess I've only read about it. I've seen glimpses of it. But like Gideon, and I was touched by this passage because it ministered to my heart, the children were greatly impoverished because of the Midianites' actions, and the nation was imploding. And they were trying to hide in caves, and they were seeking to defend themselves, and they were taking sides, and and that's what we're doing. You find yourself in the narrative. You find yourself in the narrative. You were reading the sites that speak about the white police officers and decry the, the, the men that were shot, the African-American men that are shot. And if you're African-American, you're, you're reading websites that side with the African-American men and, and decrying the, the, the police officers. And we're all finding our place as we get into our dens. I remember when the O.J. Simpson verdict had come down and I was at Youth for Christ in in Fresno, California and the verdict is declared and all the black kids in the room stood up and cheered and all the white kids in the room just stood, stood there shocked. The room was completely divided. We'd all built our narrative. What would cause half the room to rise and half the room to sit? And they all declared themselves to be Christians. They're of an organization, Youth for Christ. And the room was divided. This is a heavy message. I saw it in the last service. It's cathartic, I believe. I pray it ministers to you. Verse 7 said, It came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet. Seven years, they finally decide to pray. Oh, we, we think the answer is in federal police. We think the answer is in gun control. We think the answer is in race. We think, we think, we think. Why don't we pray? Amen. And I don't think it's bad enough because we're not praying. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray. Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. My people. All I can do now is Pray. We're going to try everything else. We're going to do everything we can. There's got to be a political solution to this. There isn't. You see, the problem is, it's not the Midianites. The problem isn't racial tension. That's not the problem. That's the symptom. Midianites are the symptom, not the problem. The problem is, as the text declares, you've turned away from God. God sends a prophet in the book of Judges. The nation was being ruled by judges, not prophets. They send, the Lord sends a prophet. We don't even know his name. His name's Norman. It just says, The Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. The problem 
is not the Midianites. The problem is not the racial tension. The problem is not any of that. The problem is we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. We've been created in the image of God. Elohim means singular plurality or unified diversity. Look around the room. Different colors, different shapes, different sizes, different ethnicities. We're all created in the image of God as Kellyanne so beautifully presented to us. But we don't see it that way. We figure out ways to cope apart from God when we abandon His Word and we don't obey His voice. We'd rather hide in a cave than to stand for His truth. And this prophet brings conviction and rebuke. It's the judge who, who restores. Prophets rebuke, the judge restores. And this is what happens after the prophet speaks. The reason why all this is happening, he says, is because you haven't obeyed God's voice. And the prophet leaves. We don't know anything about the prophet. Nothing. We don't know his name. Like I said, could be Norman. And then verse 11. The scripture says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, or Elan, which means oak tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abbi Ezraite. And while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. He isn't, he's not in the threshing floors, which have to be an open space because you need wind to pass through as you crush the wheat and you throw it up in the air. The wind blows away the chaff, the grain falls, you gather the grain and you feed upon it. You can't do it in an open space. The Midianites are waiting for you. So he goes down into the wine press, crushes it, and he's painstakingly taking the kernel from the chaff and setting it aside to try to just get enough for his family. And while he's down there working in secret in this wine press, which is at the bottom of the hill, and nobody can see him, he's doing this knowing that he is at, in danger of being found out. The Midianites will, will kill him, take his crop, and he's doing the best he can. And in the midst of this, while he's, he's, he's separating the wheat from the chaff by hand in this wine press, this angel of the Lord appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. A guy hiding in a wine press. I don't know about you, but it seems a little bit pathetic to me. It's almost mockery. God calls him a mighty man of valor. A mighty man of valor. That means that you and I are mighty men or women of valor. You started your day as a simple farmer and you're going to end as a deliverer of Israel. He began his day as a farmer and he's going to end the day as a deliverer of Israel. On June 2nd, I began my day as a pastor and ended the day as a councilman. On Tuesday, I'm going to begin the day as a councilman and a pastor and Lord willing, end the day as a reconciler. I don't know. And in the simple acts of obedience... In the mundane, God declares the sacred. What's he doing? He's just getting food for his family. But God calls him a mighty man of valor. In a mundane task, God shows him the sacred. And I love this idea that he calls him a mighty man of valor because it reminds me of Romans chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. And the Lord just simply says that he calls things that are not as though they were. 
Every one of you in the room who claims the name of Christ is called, and God has a calling on your life. And, and he's, you're his poema, his poetry, his, his workmanship, and he created you unto good works that you would walk in those. And maybe right now you aren't, or maybe you are, and you don't see them as mighty works because you're cleaning a high chair, or feeding a baby, or changing a diaper, or sitting in traffic. But the mundane is the holy, it's the sacred. And in your obedience, God turns to you as he turned to Gideon and he said, I am with you, mighty man of valor. We can look at that and think it mockery that the Lord would declare such a a thing to Gideon. But the reality is, it was true. And it's profound and powerful. I'm moved by that. When I think of this idea of Gideon being called a mighty man of valor, I like what one author writes. He said, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Morgan says, Apparently he was a simple man living a very ordinary life. And the angel found him about his his daily duty. God called Moses when he was shepherding sheep in the middle of the desert. He called David when he was tending his father's flock. He called the apostles when they were mending nets. God's given you work to do. And we do it. And we do it in faithfulness. And we do it day by day. And we just allow the Lord to use us. If we'll be faithful each day in service, listen to me, please. If we'll be faithful each day in service to the Lord, God will be faithful to provide opportunity to serve him. He's found in the little things. And if you're faithful... Each day in service to the Lord, he will be faithful to provide you opportunity. And so when the Lord says, I'm with you, you mighty man of valor, Morgan also says, to Gideon's credit, it bothered Gideon that Israel was in this condition. He was far from apathetic or fatalistic. He's revealed as a man continuing his work with the bitterness of the whole situation burning like a fire in his bones. You know what made him a man of valor? is he hadn't given up. He wasn't apathetic or fatalistic. You cannot sit in this room very long and be apathetic or fatalistic. You will leave. And that is why this room is filled with mighty men and women of valor. You cannot sit here and be apathetic or fatalistic. There is a future. There is a hope. And we serve a God who establishes that hope. And he's called us to walk forward. And we're more than conquerors. We're not victims. And we are the ones who will bring that peace because we are his arms and his legs. We are his poema, his workmanship. And that was the beauty of Gideon is he wasn't apathetic and he wasn't fatalistic. He kept grinding. He kept working. I love this idea that Gideon had might and he had strength. The angel, Gideon said to the angel in verse 13, my Lord, and he calls him sir, Adonai, which means sir. He doesn't even recognize him as God. He doesn't think it's God. He's just entertaining a man holding a staff. And he says, my, my Lord, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our father told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Gideon's response to this angel of the Lord, which is a Christophany, by the way. It's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. 
It's not the Father because no man has seen the Father and lived. This is a picture of, of Christ, a Christophany in, in, in the Old Testament. It says an angel of the Lord, but you're going to see in a moment that it's Yahweh. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's a tetragrammaton. It's the personal name of God. And when he says to him, Lord, sir, if God's with us, it sure strikes me that he's asleep at the wheel. And what's fascinating about Gideon is he recounts the history of Israel. He's been studying it. I know about the miracles of my forefathers. They've told me about those. I've studied them and and how he brought us up out of Egypt. But it appears to me he's forsaken us. If you say he's with us, then why are the Midianites filling the land like locusts? And I have to tell you, 51 years old, I've been a Christian longer than, than I haven't been. And I have read about the revivals. I love this country. I love the founding of it. I love reading the history of it. I know about the founders. I know about a bicameral legislature. I know about the Great Awakening with Whitfield and and, and Wesley. And and I I know about what happened in the Civil War. And I know about Jeremiah Lanfear. And I know about the 650,000 men and women who died on a field of battle and Abraham Lincoln dying on Good Friday. I know about all that. I've read it. I know the history of our country. I studied it in college. I've read the scriptures cover to cover. I've prayed I love this nation. My father fought in three battles, three tours of Vietnam to defend it. I've walked precincts. I've engaged in the voter process. I love, I love the idea that we are a constitutional republic. I love everything about this country. I love it. And I'm wondering, where is God? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It was founded with the recognition of God, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. It's there in in the birth certificate as we studied on July 3rd. And I look across the land, and I've heard about the Jesus movement and all the awakenings. I've read them, never experienced them. I've had personal revivals in my own heart. I've seen simple changes in the lives of others. I've I've seen the hand of God move, but I've never seen a movement that has changed a nation. And I cry out to God for that. And the Lord whispered to my heart in the midst of all this chaos and the brokenness and the the racial divide and the pain and the fear of, of, of invasion of aliens and all the things. I'm not talking about space aliens. I'm talking about from other countries. Don't think I'm smoking anything. And, and, I, and I cry out to the Lord and I say, where are your people? Where are they? Where are the Gideons and the Rahabs? Will they raise up or rise up, make a difference? Where are they? Why are our prayer meetings so sparsely attended? Where are they? They're hiding in caves. They're building their defenses. And yet the oppression upon the land, and I, and I cry out to God, and I think about this idea that Gideon wasn't apathetic or fatalistic. And I have to tell you, I'm not apathetic and I'm not fatalistic. I struggle from time to time, but I still see a future and a hope. And I'm not moving out of the state. I'm not moving to Montana. I'm not buying a, a compound. I'm going to stand my ground because people in California need Jesus. And if there's a struggle here, this is the place that we should be. And in this, I, I love that the angel says to Gideon when he cries out, he says, Lord, where, if you're with us, what, how has all this happened? And as he says this to the Lord, the Lord says to him, 
Go in this might of yours and you shall be and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? I've sent you. Gideon's still calling him sir. He doesn't know that he's God. He says, okay, so you've sent me. Who are you? Some guy with a staff. Who are you? You go in this strength of yours. What strength? I'm hiding in a wine press, picking wheat from chaff. What strength? But the Lord had pointed out, and I love it. Gideon had might. He had strength but not like we would normally think. Gideon had the strength of the humble when he was threshing the wheat on the winepress floor. Gideon had the strength of the caring because he cared about the low place of Israel. Gideon had the strength of knowledge because he knew God did great things in the past. Gideon had the strength of the spiritually hungry because he wanted to see God do great works again. Gideon had the strength of the teachable because he listened to what the angel of the Lord said. Gideon had the strength of the weak. And God's strength is made perfect in weakness as we see in 2 Corinthians 12. Gideon was correct. He couldn't save Israel. He was too weak. But a great God using a small man can do anything. God doesn't need our ability but our availability. I love this portion. It says it's important to know that God has sent us but it's even greater to know that he is with us. This was the same assurance God gave to Moses in Exodus 3 and that Jesus gave to all believers in Matthew 28. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As the angel says to him in verse 14, I have sent you, go in this might of yours. Gideon responds with a, well, why and where and but. He has all kinds of excuses. But God's will is a progressive revelation. God's will is a progressive revelation. You do this, he shows you more of himself. You do that, he shows you more of himself. And if you'll be faithful, as I said earlier, each day in service to God, he'll be faithful to provide greater opportunity. But we have to keep serving. We don't become apathetic or fatalistic, and we don't hide in caves. Gideon said, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. He still is calling him sir. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. If you're really the Lord, I'm going to need to see some credentials. He says, Listen, don't, don't leave this spot. Stay right here. I'll be right back. I pray until I come to you and bring my offering and set it before you. He said, you stay here and wait until I come back. And so the angel said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat, unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket. He put the broth in a pot. He brought them out to him under the terebinth tree, the oak tree, and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon's like, I just cooked this. I really put a lot of time. I mean... It's a lovely broth. I have, I have worked very diligently. And, and he, he lays the meat and the bread, and he begins to pour the broth on the rock, thinking to himself, what a waste. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff. So Jesus was holding a staff. He takes a staff, and he puts out the end of it. As he puts out the staff, he touches the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rises from the rock and consumes the meat and the unleavened bread. Just... You can imagine Gideon. 
that's a sign you've got credentials. I'm in. And at that moment, as the offering is consumed by this fire protruding out of a rock, the angel of the Lord departs from his side. He's gone. He's like, where'd he go? Then the Lord, then Gideon perceived that he, he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's frightened now. Remember when we asked last week to ask for a fresh vision of the Lord? And it's amazing how our sins look when we see God in his fullness. We start to examine our life in his presence and we realize if there's going to be revival, it's going to begin at home. Lord, would you take this from me? Would you prepare me to serve you? Would you help me, God? Gideon sees this. He has a presence of the Lord. He's moved by it. He's seeing God face to face. And verse 23 is fascinating because it says the Lord said to him. So God continues to speak, but Gideon can't see him anymore. And guess what? Gideon is in the same place we are today. We hear God speak, but we can't see him. And he speaks to us through his, through his word. And, and how can you have your family obey the voice of the Lord when you don't teach that voice in your home? How can you expect a generation to know the voice of God when we don't teach the scriptures to our children? When the scriptures say, husbands, wash your wife in the water of the word, how will they know unless someone tells them? This isn't a game. This is the living, breathing word of God that's sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart and to save a nation. And we'd rather hide in a cave than study his word. And God says to him, I'm still going to speak to you even though you can't see me. And the Lord said to him, here it is, ready? This is what we've been longing for all week. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Don't be afraid. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. The Lord is, is shalom, Jehovah shalom. To this day, it is still in Oprah of the Winfrey's. And now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and the second bull, which is seven years of age. These are both of his Lexus. It's a, a new Lexus and a seven-year-old Lexus. That's the equivalent of the bull. Seven-year-old Lexus is seven years of Midianite oppression. And there's, there's significance to that. And he says, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. His dad was an idol worshiper. And he says, clean your home up. Clean your home up. And he does that. And he cuts down the wooden image that is beside it. And he built an altar to the Lord on top of the rock in the proper arrangement. He took the second bull and offered a burnt sacrifice with the wood in the image. And then it says in verse 27, Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it at night. He still did it, but he did it at night. And he cleaned up his father's house. And he went forward in obedience to the voice of the Lord. It's fascinating that Hebrews 11 speaks of Gideon as a man of faith in the hall of faith. What more shall I say for the time shall fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. These were men and women who just decided to avail themselves to God, and God used them. 
Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They saw a future and called things that were not as though they were. And the Lord used that. And so Gideon began the day as a farmer and ended the day as a deliverer of the nation of Israel. But I wanted to focus in these last moments on one last thing. And I want to encourage you. Gideon called the place Jehovah Shalom. This is one of the seven manifold names of God. It was Moses who saw the burning bush, and he said, Who are you? Who shall I say has sent me to Pharaoh? And he says, I am. It's his name. And it simply means, I will be for you whatever you need when you need it. And and through the course of history, in Genesis 22, Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. God will provide, as the Lord provided himself, a ram for the offering so that Isaac didn't have to be slain. In Exodus 15, when the plagues came out upon all of Egypt and the Israelites were not affected, they called him Jehovah Rapha, which God is our healer and he restores our soul. In Exodus 17, when Moses had his arms lifted by, by Aaron and Hur, and they, they won the battle over the Amalekites, he, he, he called his name Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner, our canopy, our covering, our protection. The fourth use of, of the manifold names of God we find in Judges chapter 6, where we are now, where he says, Jehovah Shema, God is our peace. Then in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah speaks that the Lord is our righteousness, Jehovah Tisdekinu, which is one of my favorites, because when you have a bad day and you've done things you shouldn't do, aren't you glad that it's not your righteousness that gets you into heaven, but God's? I don't know, you're, you think there's a balanced scale? Well, good for you. All I know is I lose. I don't care how hard I try, I screw up more than I succeed. And if your hope in heaven is a scale, why? When God says, I am going to give you my righteousness by faith, you're saved by faith, by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. Don't you just want to receive his righteousness instead of try to earn it? And you get to do what's right because he gives you the power to do it, not so that you can earn salvation. And so that's the beauty of Jeremiah 23, Jehovah Tisdekinu. The sixth name is found in Ezekiel 48. And the Lord was called Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is present. He's present. And then Psalm 23 with David, it's Jehovah Ra'ah, which means the Lord is my shepherd. All of these are precious. And, and seven in the scriptures is the number of completion, but we find the eighth name of God, not in the Old Testament, but we find it in the New And this is the eighth name, which is the the number of new beginnings. And this name is given in Matthew chapter 1. And it says in verse 20, as the angel of the Lord is speaking to Joseph, he says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Yahshua. For he will save his people from their sins. God saves. Jehovah Shua, God saves. What does he save us from? Our sins. His people are sinners. You all qualify, as do I. And he saves us and he puts his righteousness to our account. And that's the beauty of it.
And then I leave you with this. And this is the part that I pray moves you. Brent Thompson, Patrick Zamaripa, Michael Kroll, Lauren Ahrens, Michael Smith, Philando Castillo, Alton Sterling, Micah Xavier Johnson, These were the eight men killed this week, five of them police officers, two of them African-Americans killed by police officers, and Michael Xavier Johnson, the man responsible for the shooting in Dallas. Brent Thompson was a newlywed. Patrick Zamaripa was a father of two. He was a Navy vet. Lorne Ahrens was uh, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. He went to work for the Dallas Police Department. Michael Smith was married to Heidi. He had two daughters, nine and 14 years of age. Philando Castillo was from Minnesota. Alton Sterling was the father of five. He was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I don't know if you saw the video of his shooting. The fear in the voice of the officers in both shootings. The entire country is divided. And you find yourself in the narrative somewhere, don't you? Let's take the worst in our estimation, Mike Xavier Johnson, the shooter of the officers, not just the five who died, but others that were wounded. He went out to kill them deliberately. Who is this man? Julius Young said he was my friend. He was never racist that I recall. Julius Young, a UPS worker, classmate of Johnson's at John Horn High School in Mesquite, a Dallas suburb. That was not the type of guy he was. That wasn't what any of us was, was, was about. On his Facebook page, Johnson posted an image of a fist with the text Black Power, and he also expressed interest on his Facebook page in the People's New Black Panther Party, which the Southern Poverty Law Center describes as a virulently racist and anti-Semitic organization. Young said he was surprised to hear that Johnson had aligned himself with a black nationalist group. Micah was never a follower. He was a leader. I never knew him to hate, Young said. Young said that over the past year or so since Johnson had been home from deployment in Afghanistan, where he served in 2013 and 14, he and his friends talked about sports, women, and family issues, but never the issue of black people dying at the hands of police. We left that topic alone, Young said. We just didn't want to talk about it. There was too much sadness, too much anger surrounding it, so we just left it alone. Young said he never knew that Johnson hated police. If he had ever said anything, we could have talked him out of it, but he never showed any signs of that, Young said. When Johnson returned home in July of 2014, friends said Johnson had changed, seeming withdrawn, and to have lost the Christian faith instilled in him by his church-going mother. The police chief of the Dallas Police Department, his son was killed by police officers, and his son killed a police officer. His brother was killed. His partner was killed in 1998 or 1988. Everybody's embroiled in it. Find yourself in the narrative. But what's your answer? Federal police? Gun control? What's your gimmick? How about this? We humble ourselves and pray. We apply the scriptures and move forward as more than conquerors and not victims. I'm sitting with Bishop Huggins on Tuesday. 
whose son was shot by Alameda police officers. We're going to sit down together and work through this. I shared with him when I called him. I said, I just got back from watching Free State of Jones, the movie about a Confederate soldier who went against the Confederacy and, and unified former slaves to stand in opposition and turn against the Confederacy, asked Sherman for assistance. When the Civil War ended and they were promised 40 acres and a mule, they all, all the blacks registered as Republicans, Bedford Force of the KKK, and the Democratic, Democrats suppressed the vote of the Republicans. And most blacks, and you read your history, I was shocked to see a Hollywood movie depict realistic history, that most blacks registered as Republicans. Martin Luther King Jr.'s father was a Republican. We don't know what Martin Luther King Jr. was, but his father was a Republican. And the Democrats suppressed the vote. And you watch this in the movie, and, and you're looking at it, and, and you're, you're torn by it. And you're watching a man hang who did registrations. And I, and I said to him, to Bishop Huggins, I said, it's shocking to me because for 70 years, the Republican Party dominated the political landscape because they were, they were the party of abolition. They, they were formed for the sole purpose of abolishing slavery. And what's happened today? Everyone's taken sides and we're at war with one another. And I, I told him, I said, the 93-year-old woman that passed away, and I'm the executor of her estate, and I, and I have the hat that her great-grandfather wore at the Battle of the Wilderness... He survived it, and he fought for the North to, to, to free the slaves. And, and, and we sang the song on July 3rd, uh, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and we were all moved by it. And she would share with me, my great-grandfather fought, my great-grandmother was an eyewitness of the Gettysburg Address, and here's a Civil War Survivor Medal. And we were from Pennsylvania, and he was the first, armored, uh, the first artillery of the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania artillery. And we fought to free the blacks. I said, that's great, Alice. And I called to tell her that my daughter Molly is getting married to Micah. And when she met Micah, she said, he's black. I said, you know, I didn't notice. She said, well, I don't believe in mixed race marriages. And for four consecutive conversations, she tried to convince me that it shouldn't happen. I finally said, Alice? This is the last conversation we are going to have in regards to this. If you bring it up again, I will never call you. Do you understand me? I have been respectful and patient with you. I have done my best to endeavor to listen, but we are at an impasse. My son-in-law is one of the most admirable men I've ever met. And he gets pulled over for driving while black. He never done anything wrong. Recently. <laughs> but I'm talking about since he's been a Christian walking with the Lord. And I understand because when I read the article accounts, I side with the officers. And I look and, and I think... We need more security. We need federal officers. You go through the whole gamut. Everybody wants to go in their cave. I'll tell you what, all the names I've listed as we've gone through everything in relation to the message today, and I, I went down the list of, of Alton Sterling, and I went through all of the different people. The bottom line is this. You know what we need? Jesus. We need mighty men 
and women of valor that find the sacred and the mundane and they go forward in the strength of the Lord to make a difference get out of your caves and let's get busy on Tuesday I'm going to wake up as a pastor and a councilman and I pray that when I go to bed I'll be a reconciler what are you going to do what are you going to do and do it because the world needs Jesus and if you don't tell them who will that's the beauty of this fellowship there's no apathy or fatalism you can't sit here long you folks get it you bless me I'm so proud of this church and that's why Bishop Huggins called and said will you join us I said I know they will Tuesday 2 o'clock St. Paul's let's do it together Lord we thank you for your word we thank you for your faithfulness we thank you Lord that what you did with Gideon you can do with us and you are doing with us and so God I pray that we tear down the altars of idol worship and we would go forward in the strength of the Lord for you are with us you'll never leave us nor forsake us we're going to get out of our caves our strongholds and we're going to step forward not as victims but as conquerors And we're going to overcome the deception with the truth and the hatred with the love. And we're going to speak the truth in love. And Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom to do that. Empower your people by your spirit. Give us a fresh vision of who you are, that we would see the nation as it's to be, not as it is. And we ask, Lord, that we would not be in despair, but we would be empowered by hope. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.